0: It is game day here in Vancouver, and welcome to Canuck's Conversation. It's brought to you by the all new 2023 Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X is Toyota's brand new all electric SUV that is designed to go the distance for you and your family. The BZ4X is packed with Toyota's coolest tech, but it still has that trusty SUV feel you know and love. And even though it's electric, it's capable of effortlessly conquering any terrain, whether it's rain, snow, mud or your friend's questionable post-game recaps. I've got a lot of those. I'm sure you do too, Harm. And the bz Forex will get you through. We're coming to you from the iconic Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Looking for your next meeting space? Contact the Wall Center for all your event needs at sales at wallcenter.com. Again, welcome to Canucks Conversation Game Day here alongside Harm and Dial. I'm Irfan Giffar. Um, Harm, you know what's exciting? When big teams come into Vancouver with well, the Boston Bruins the New York Rangers, you know, the the Leafs, the Habs. But I think it's always a little more special when the Penguins
4: and Sidney Crosby visit, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, even just locally, among the people that I know who pick maybe a couple games to go to a year, they always have the Penguins game circle. Like I've got a bunch of friends who don't normally go and they're going to this one. So it's always special. And I mean, to see Crosby still at the peak of his powers (laughs) is something else. And it sort of brings me to... The biggest question that I have going into this game, even from Vancouver's perspective, is at this point, this Penguins team is literally just Sidney Crosby. If you shut down his line, you win the game. And he's been an animal at five on five. The last time these two teams met, Crosby got on the board twice, and that's why the Penguins' Canucks game went to OT in the first place. But, for example, you look at the Evgeny Malkin line, for example. (laughs) And Malkin... First of all, he slowed down himself, but look at his wingers. According to Daily Faceoff, he's got right now Drew O'Connor and Valtteri Pustinen. No disrespect to those guys, but I don't think if Evgeny
0: Malkin even knows who his wingers are. Like, to be completely honest, he's just going about his business and sees their numbers on the board. It's like, this is who I'm playing with tonight. And you look at this Penguins team, and you're right. It is only Sidney Crosby. 55 games played this year. He's got 32-28 for 60 points. Could be another 50-point game or sorry, 50 goal season for Sidney Crosby when it's all said and done, but they're nowhere near good in the standings. I mean, they're 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 falling off the face of the planet and that's why a lot of people are talking about them maybe being sellers as we approach
4: the deadline. That's the other interesting subplot is Pittsburgh has won its last two games. So it's starting to build a little bit of momentum. They've got five games in hand on uh, Tampa for the final wildcard spot, but they're nine points back. If the Canucks beat them here, it could be the unofficial death blow for the big three's contention window in Pittsburgh, right? Because it's it's now or never. Pittsburgh's got to go on a crazy run to justify to Kyle Dubas, hey, don't break this up. Um, and if they do start breaking things up, they start moving pieces like a Jake Ensel, or Riley Smith at the deadline. That's pretty much it. They may try retooling, but in terms of actually contending and being a, a threat, it's going to be curtains, and it's so interesting too that it could be Jim Rutherford, Patrick and Rick Tockett, who are so instrumental to Pittsburgh's success. Um, a few years ago, they they have the power to kind of um, put an end to this for Pittsburgh. We're
0: slowly starting to see the demise of the once was the the vaunted Pittsburgh Penguins and and how good that they were. Um, from the Canucks' point of view, look, power play changes. I guess we have to get into that right away. What do you make of the shakeup of the Canucks top or the Canucks two power play
4: units? Yeah. So talk it hinted at it at a UBC practice on Friday, that if they don't get back on track, that at some point they may have to consider balanced power play units. Personally, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I think you look at most teams around the NHL. There's a reason it doesn't stick. It You want to stack most of your talent on, on one unit, but on, on the other, uh, on the other hand, You do understand that, okay, nothing's been working. You got to try different things. And they went with Heronic on the first unit as well. That didn't really work at all. Uh, So now to to shake things up again, you balance it out. I mean, I I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say I hate it because they have to try something different. But I don't think this is going to be the long term solution. And specifically looking at um, the unit they have with, uh, with, with Pedersen just for the people who haven't seen uh, the lines got Baines, net front Myers on, um, on the flank, Lindholm bumper, uh, Pedersen, right flank and Hughes um, manning the point. I just wonder what Tyler Myers is doing there. I
0: would be shocked if Tyler Myers ends up being there to be completely yeah. honest. I, I think that, okay, well you look at the other power play, you know, it's Suter, Garland, Besser, Miller, Ronick. no Hoglander. The guy's going to score yeah. 25 goals this year. I mean, you're leaving them off of that. I just think it's very bizarre to me to have two units and I get kind of what maybe talk is trying to do, but I would be shocked if Hoaglander isn't on that Pedersen power play unit at some point um, in the game, maybe things work and, and maybe they end up scoring a goal, but it it would shock
4: me if, if if Hoaglander doesn't end up being somewhere near there. Well, I'm just curious what the thought process is. And and I don't mean it from a, a criticism perspective, but, Genuinely, what what are they envisioning Myers' role to be there from uh, the left flank? Are they wanting him to clap bombs like he's Stamkos or or Ovi? Do they want him handling the puck? Because it's really tough for a defenseman to make plays from the half wall. When we saw Hughes and Heronik together on the first unit, Quinn Hughes looked uncomfortable playing the left flank. Yeah. right. Who's one of the most skilled defensemen in the league just because you're making reads and decisions handling the puck in circumstances that you're not used to because as a defenseman you're you're just moving mostly laterally across the uh, across the point you're used to manning things from the top uh, not necessarily making plays from the half hole. so um, yeah that's that that I I not convinced that that's uh, the solution in terms of Myers in that spot but um, the other thing that I just thought was kind of interesting was when you look at for instance and and i don't know if this went into the into the decision making process at all but the other unit which has Suter Garland Besser Miller and Horonic when you look at the forwards especially Garland Besser they basically just gave JT um the players that he's closest with off the ice as well like he's really good friends with uh, Garland of course he has chemistry with Besser at 5 on 5 as well but uh, the three Americans there they they're really good friends. And you look at the other unit is as, uh, as well. Um Lindholm and Patterson, both being Swedes, Patterson and Hughes are, Hughes are close. Maybe you get Hoaglander in there. instead there's Stead a, a of there's three sweet line again. Yeah. So again, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I do think it's, um, it's interesting that. um Yeah. I mean, you've got, Miller with some of his closest friends off the ice together and maybe you're hoping that, that some of that off-ice chemistry can translate to on-ice chemistry as well.
0: Rajak did say that sometimes a break is needed, and you need to separate some of the guys and and maybe they can figure it out here, but I agree with you. I don't think that this is the long-term solution. Um I think when you look at it, you know the top power play, they just need to they need to figure out a way to fix it, whether that's, you know, the four guys that are there, it's finding a way to get Elias Lindholm the puck right? When he, when he came in and was a Vancouver can not get two goals in his debut because he stood in front of the net. Now he's kind of, he was just skating around and not really doing too much else. So it's, it's finding different ways to be creative. There's too much talent on this team, on that top power play unit for them not to go back to where it was early in the season. So you just have to figure it out. I get maybe that there needs to be a break a little bit, a little bit of a refresh or, or reset or, or what have you, but I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what they what they do tonight, and and if it does in fact work. Um, another guy who maybe needs a refresh or, or a reset. Um, Ilya Mikheyev back again for a second game in a row with Elias Patterson. What do you make of that?
4: Yeah, it's tough. Um, and this goes back to this whole conversation of not just Mikheyev in that spot next to to Petterson but it it sort of highlights um again i'm curious what line they choose to go up against crosby because on the one hand you could go okay jt miller's been an absolute engine match him match him up against crosby but when you have last change there's also appeal to the idea of okay if he's cooking this well why not get him out there against um favorable matchups mm-hmm. pittsburgh second and third pairs defensively uh, their bottom six uh, the same way that when the canucks were in colorado Jared Bednar made a point of getting the McKinnon line out against um, the third line, Vancouver's third line, which had Archie Baines in his, in his NHL debut. So in an ideal world, if you're looking to maybe get Miller out against soft matchups, then your second go to option in in my mind would be Elias Petterson. But then I think about it from the perspective of he has been a little up and down lately. He hasn't been driving play the way we're used to. And then you have Mikhaev on his wing as well, who's been extraordinarily quiet. I don't know how much confidence I have in that line going toe to toe against Crosby either. And then, of course, the other option you have is um, is the Lindholm Garland Baines line, which Lindholm's a responsible two way center, but even though Archie Baines' his two way habits have been pretty mature for yeah. a rookie, he's still only got three games of NHL experience. Do you trust him to go up against and Sidney Crosby? <laughs> Sidney Crosby, so. uh I am curious to watch the deployment factor, um, with uh, with matchups, and then it, it's just funny to me. I mean, you look at the lines, and you want Elias
0: Pettersson. I mean, look, he's having a great season. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's there's been there's been some knock on his game of late, and you know things like that, and he maybe looks a little disinterested and, and things of that nature, but. To be completely honest, I mean, even he's probably thinking, you know, for a guy that hasn't had that much confidence in his game, like, why am I playing with a guy like Ilya Mikheyev? I get it. I know there was an meeting with with the agent and obviously with, with Alvin and talking about maybe getting some more ice time for Mikheyev, which proved to be that against the Boston Bruins. Now they won that game. They ended up coming back and winning. So maybe that's the reason why they go back to it. But Mikheyev's got to do something here. Like, in, in all reality, I mean, he goes on the ice and and there isn't really much going for him right? I mean, he barely touches the puck. He's not chasing. He's not tenacious on the forecheck. He's not the guy that they signed from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, whether that's coming back from a knee injury, I get that there's certain athletes that are able to do it and come back and be completely fine. And maybe this is just, you know, a, a, a process of him still trying to figure out, you know, how his knees reacting to, to certain things, but he's just looked like a guy that, you know, has been completely lost.
4: Yeah. And when you have Pedersen, Miller, Lindholm, all playing center. Yeah. I just don't think going into the playoffs that this team as currently constructed has the winger depth to excel that way. No. Again, I understand why talk is giving it a look right now because Pedersen and Lindholm did not have nearly as much chemistry as I think we were all hoping for offensively. That line really wasn't uh, delivering, delivering the results we were hoping for. But again, you just look at the wing situation right now and, keep in mind Dakota Joshua is the only player that's out of your top nine right now, right now. And you're relying on both Ilya Mikheyev. Three of your wingers in the top, top six are Ilya Mikheyev, Nils Hoaglander, and Pia Suter. Yeah. That's, that's quite the ask on a team that has cup contention aspirations. Not to mention, you've also got Arch, Archie Baines in a third line role. Who's just learning the NHL ropes as well. I, I don't think they're deep enough um, long-term to make it work because yeah, you, you are going to run into situations then when somebody like Mikheyev has to be in in your top six. So at some point, you really do hope that Lindholm, whether it's with Miller or more likely uh, with Pedersen, just because of how much chemistry Miller and Besser have had together, that Lindholm can figure it out on the wing. Because, uh, again, I just don't love the look of the wingers right now. What are you made of first three games under ArchD Bain's belt? I've been impressed. Obviously, he hasn't registered a point yet. Uh, There's been uh, a couple of penalties, so it hasn't been perfect. But watching him play, I think his habits, the subtle things when you watch his shifts back, um, there's a reason why Rick Tockett has already been raving about some of those elements, Uh, the way he forechecks some of the intelligent routes that he takes. um, He's ferocious in terms of his back pressure. In, uh, in, In the Colorado game, for example, there was a play where uh, Ranton and McKinnon were carrying the puck up the ice. Baines is hustling back. Uh, he forces Rantanen to yeah. defer to McKinnon, and then Baines follows through and swoops the puck off of McKinnon's stick. To make that type of play in your NHL debut is uh, really impressive. In the Boston game, in the first period, uh, there was a sequence wall work, right? How much does Talkit speak about the importance of when you're a winger in the defensive zone and the puck is rimmed around, you have to make um, the play to get it out. Baines had four boards pinching down a big, strong defenseman. He absorbed the contact, won the 50-50 battle, and poked the puck up ahead to Lindholm, who then set up a two-on-one rush opportunity for Connor Garland. So those are the things that, look, for an average fan, you may not necessarily notice it. It's never going to end up on a highlight reel, but those are the quote-unquote staples. Those are the um, non-negotiables that Rick Tockett speaks about, that he preaches. And Baines already has a lot of those pat-down um, despite only having three games of NHL experience, um, which is, um, which is massive. And it shows in the ice time too, since he's come up, he's eighth among Canucks forwards in five on five ice time ahead of names like Teddy Bluger, uh, Ilya Mikheyev, Sam Lafferty, who've who are established longtime NHL veterans.
0: Well, that's the thing for me. I think it's the trust and if you're able to earn your coach's trust this early into your nhl career that's obviously says something that he's been doing well and and i think it's one of those things and a testament to him and obviously he was an ahl all-star mvp so you know he's got the chops to be able to play now he's making it work at this level uh quickly who do you want to see something more from tonight i know the easy answer is Ilya McKayev, but who do you want to see something more from tonight
4: maybe a little bit more from pia suter if we're talking about outside of uh uh, i know the jt uh miller line has been rolling regardless but I think there have been moments where Suter's gone a little bit quiet. Now he's going to be in a prominent, he's still in a prominent top six role, not to mention um, he's going to get more power play reps because the units are balanced. So he's going to get more looks on the man advantage. It'd be nice if, uh, if he can find a way to uh, chip in a little more. And if it's not him, then I look at Elias Lindholm Um, want to see a little bit more from him in terms of driving play. All right, well, let's get to our guest today, brought to you by Greta, the home of our
0: electric watch parties. Greta is our spot to chill pregame, post-game, and all through the offseason as well. Check out Greta Barr YVR today as we welcome in Jeff Patterson. Jeff, the Canucks can surpass their point total with the win tonight. 82 in 60 games this season. Finished with 83 last year. What a what a way for a year to go by for this team.
3: Yeah, and good for them, but like I'm way more concerned about it. I just came in from shoveling snow. It's like the last week of February. I, I didn't really, but it's snowing outside my place. Uh, there's your weather update. Uh, look, we've seen it's been a magical season for the Vancouver Canucks. I didn't see it coming. I had them as a team that was going to, you know, be on the fringes of the playoffs, and I agreed and bought into what Jim Rutherford said on the eve of training camp that if everything went right, they could be a playoff team. And. You know, I think back to that middle of November where they alternated wins and losses for 10 games and we weren't quite sure where their season was headed and they took off from there and haven't looked back. And the individual performances, the collective of the group, and here they are as the top team in the National Hockey League, you know, with two days to go in the month of February. it uh, really remarkable. So, you know, for them, it's not about surpassing last season. They want to leave last season in the dust they want to add 25 more points to what they've uh, – been able to accomplish this year but uh, you know baby steps I suppose and so yeah year over year just to think that they can surpass last year's point total with 21 games remaining it's uh, pretty remarkable stuff
4: what do you make of the bounce power play units that it looks like uh, the Canucks might roll out Uh, do you think that might give them a little bit of a spark
3: I'm curious to see. I mean, we watched in Seattle the other night where they threw everything against the wall and started with their leading goal scorer, power play goal scorer, and goal scorer Brock Besser wasn't even on uh, the first unit. And then he got on the second time around. And by the fourth time, Philip Aronik had been taken off the power. Like They were just grasping at straws. So I wonder if there's an element of that. Scoring in overtime against Boston the other day was great, got them the win, but it doesn't solve their power play issues at all. I mean, that's four on three. And They're trying to get it going back again at five on four. I thought what you said, though, before I joined you, Harmon, was fascinating. And the thought crossed my mind earlier in the day when I saw the two groups. And it does feel like kids on the playground and splitting, like (laughs) putting your best buddies out there together. And then talking comes out after the morning and skate and says, hey, sometimes you just need to get away from each other. And I thought, hang on a second. Like we're talking about a first place team and you're sort of playing into that narrative that you're trying to keep some people away from each other. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I was as surprised as you were, uh, Tyler Myers out there. Uh, the fact that our Baines in his fourth NHL game is going to get a power play time. Like that's good for him. Pia Suter remains in the power play and Hills Hoglander can't get a sniff. So, uh, there are some things that make sense. There are some that don't, um, You know, the fact you got Petey and Hughes together, you certainly have weapons there on Lindholm as well, and we all know what uh, Besser and and Miller are capable of. So uh, it hasn't been working with the conventional five-man first unit set. I'm down for this for a night, but this is not the long-term solution moving forward for the Vancouver Canucks. They have to figure out uh, a first unit that can absolutely steamroll and crush opponents come playoff time.
0: But it was there like their power play was absolutely clicking and cooking early in the season. Then it went on a little bit of a hiatus and then it came back. So from your point of view, Jeff, I mean, you watch every game, you talk about it pregame, postgame, where, 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 where did things go wrong?
3: I think this league is so heavily scouted. and Rick Tockett talked about why Miller off the left half wall on Friday doesn't work when teams are using a diamond because JT is essentially skating Mm -hmm. into uh, the guy that's on the, on the side of the diamond especially when you have two righties, there isn't that Bo Horvat in the middle to slip the quick pass to the inside. uh, Cause Horvat was a lefty obviously. And you've got Lindholm and you've got uh, Besser and earlier in the season, you had Kuzmenko. So I, I think teams have recognized some of the Canucks strengths and this is all about adjustments. And certainly playoff hockey is really all about adjustments and you know, you're facing the same opponent up to seven times in a row. They're trying to take away your edge. You've got to try and gain an edge on them any way you can. So Um, yeah, I mean, I I just think teams have figured out some of the successes and strengths of the Canucks as great a player as Quinn Hughes is, you know, he doesn't threaten with a bomb from the point. Now we have seen at times his ability to get shots through layers and Lindholm's debut is a perfect example of that. Sometimes Shooting wide and having a guy pull a puck back into the net. Uh, Look, they're going to have to, between the coaching staff and a veteran group that's out there and as you said, has had success they're going to have to figure it out for themselves. But I I think eventually we're going to see them go back and load up with a first unit. And maybe the fact that they're just giving them a little bit of time apart, uh, it can bring the best out in them whenever that big reunion uh, happens for the Vancouver Canucks power play. Uh,
4: What did you think of Elias uh, Lindholm back at center in a third line role uh, against Boston? And what do you think he needs to do uh, to sort of excel in that role uh, moving forward?
3: Yeah, I thought he was all right against Boston in sort of that 200 foot game. Uh, And look, if you have him on a third line, like you should be able to create some mismatches against other teams' third lines. If, in fact, that is the Canucks' third line, it's hard to know right now when you got McKayev playing. You know, is he on a second or a first line like that? And I know you touched on that. Uh, But for the sake of this argument, let's say that Elias Lindholm is their third line setter. I don't love the fact that they gave up Kuzmenko, a first rounder and a prospect, and maybe more, uh, for a third-line player. Mm-hmm. Like That's not the player that I thought they were getting from the Calgary Flames. I thought they were getting a guy that were, would bolster their top six. Now, he may not wind up there again, uh, but right here, right now, I, I would say middling uh, is, is about the best I can do for Elias Lindholm. He's had the two games where he scored twice and absolutely contributed to victories, But on the nights where he hasn't been big on the score sheet, you know, I mean, he's a face-off, sure, and penalty killing. And, you know, the the one thing that I will do is give him a little bit of a pass to catch his breath. This guy learned of his trade to Vancouver, (laughs) 30,000 feet in the air, coming home from Cabo, got home to Calgary to pack a bag to go to the All-Star weekend, and hasn't looked back. And we know what their schedule's been like um, in the 11 games since then. Like, it's just been an absolute gauntlet of no days off, no practice days, So that's got to be difficult for a guy coming to a new team. And I know he's a veteran and he's probably relied on some of that and just, you know, his hockey smarts to get him through, but get him some practices, find him some, you know, regular wingers, perhaps. And I do hope that there is more to his game than he has shown to this point. So I get Rick Tockett trying to go with this strong spine of three centers down the middle and then even Teddy Bluger to solidify that fourth line. But again, With the assets they gave up to Calgary, I thought they were getting a top six guy that was going to turbo boost their top six. Now he's playing in a third line role. That's quite an acquisition cost for a third line guy when you thought you had a third line center in Pia Suter, who is playing above Lindholm now on this depth chart. So there are some things that are a little confusing about the way the Canucks are configured right now.
0: Yeah. And I also think that, you know, as the deadline approaches here in nine nine or so days, Jeff, that, you know, they might make a move to try and bolster their top six once again, or at least get some depth, whether it's, you know, in that four group or the defense. Uh, you mentioned catching your breath 10 of 12 for Thatcher Demko out of the all-star break. Is that getting maybe a little bit too much or, or how many games do we think that, you know, he's going to end up playing here down the stretch?
3: No, there are red flags on this now, without a doubt. And I think it's twofold. I think one is, it's an indication that maybe the trust and confidence in Casey DeSmith has waned a little bit with one win in his six starts since Christmas. And, you know, his last time out was eight goals against in the, the 10, seven loss in Minnesota. And, you know, that's tough for a guy like he hasn't had a start since. So he's had to sleep on that for the better part of a week. I think they missed a opportunity in that Chicago game at the end of the, the five game trip uh, out of the all-star break. That felt like it was earmarked for the Smith and they went with Thatcher for whatever reason. Uh, look, Casey dismiss was a great new story before Christmas, but part of that was he played far more regularly. And I think he was able to get into a groove and play better. Now his lot in life is to be the backup and be ready to go. But I thought this one against his former team, I kind of thought you know, the, the losing streak was behind them. I kind of thought this was a point in the schedule where they could slot Casey to Smith in against the Pittsburgh team. That's missing two of its top five scores in Gensel and rust. Um, but they've elected to go with Thatcher Demko, so ten of twelve out of the All Star break—that's a heavy workload for yeah. anybody. It's certainly a, a greater rate of starts than before the All Star break when it was around seventy percent. Um, they have to be careful here, and just getting to Smith a game in Anaheim on Sunday—you know—if they go right back to Demko for a, a run of games, uh, that's not getting Thatcher Demko the rest that he needs. And it's not about like yes, they want to stay atop the Pacific and the West. I get that, but. They've got to find a balance between getting Thatcher Demko time off. And you now the schedule is less for them in the month of March with the homestand and you know one more set of back-to-backs the rest of the way. And also when we talk about 10 or 12 starts, like he wasn't that busy against Boston the other day, right? Mm-hmm. Like 22 shots, even with overtime, didn't face a shot in OT. So it's not just the sheer number of starts. It is the workload within each and every one of those. And, and so I think that's sort of important to, to keep in mind here still. I do. There are red flags, not alarm bells, no panic button, but I'm at the red flag stage with just the sheer volume of starts for Thatcher Demko coming out of the all-star break.
4: Jay Pat, you've covered this league, this team for a really long time. How much do you believe momentum can carry over from, from game to game in the sense that the Canucks were in the middle of a four game losing streak, snapped it with this unbelievable thrilling come from behind victory against Boston do you believe that the momentum from a game like that does translate or are you of the mindset that every game is kind of its own independent event?
3: Yeah, I I think I kind of lean towards the latter harm that, uh, you know, for like, if a guy has been struggling and he gets a goal or has a big night, I do think sometimes that just can ease his mind a little bit. He's not thinking about the, the lengthy drought, um, You know, I don't know what's going through a guy like Ilya Mikhail's mind these days, but uh, just in terms of individual performances. But a player like JT Miller is in such a groove right now that I think, you know, he probably can't wait for the puck to drop tonight to get right back at it. So I think more on the individual front than the team. But look, when you hadn't lost more than two in a row, and all of a sudden you're losing streaks at four and it was in danger of getting to five, if they had lost to the Bruins, that would have been the storyline heading into this one. If Pittsburgh gets off to a quick start – You know, maybe there's nervous energy in the building, this idea of are we ever going to win again, that kind of thing. So I I think that they can at least kind of relax and exhale that they beat the Bruins. It was a good win. The building was rocking. Uh, But it's Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. And I know it's a Tuesday and not a a Saturday, but still another marquee opponent here. We saw firsthand how good Sid was when he faced the Canucks a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Patterson was terrific that night as well. Uh, You know, so the Canucks can't let up just because the streak is over. Uh, They need every point available to them. They're not going to get every single point that's out there for them, but uh, they've got to find a way now to come out of the four game losing streak and start to put some wins together to get this thing moving back in the, in the right direction. So that, you know, they've been fortunate. And I pointed this out on the weekend that through their scuffles and a record of four, five and 10, four, five and one over the last 10 on Saturday night, they were 4-5-1 and one in their last 10 games. So was Vegas. So was Edmonton. So even though it felt sort of like the roof was caving in on the Canucks, in the market at the very least, they lost no ground, no blood whatsoever. And ran 10 games off the schedule for Vegas and Edmonton to try to make up ground on them. So really matching those teams, even with a losing record over 10, like that's a successful 10 game stretch for the Canucks because it just meant that there were 10 more games off the board for the Oilers and the Golden Knights to work their way any closer to the Canucks at the top of the Pacific division.
0: Jeff, you're the best. Lots of storylines heading into tonight's game. The Canucks power play, Sidney Crosby, as Harm says, the demise of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, Ilya Mikheyev and what's going to happen to him playing with Elias Pettersson. But enjoy it, and uh, we'll all see you tonight. Yeah, all
3: those storylines front and center, and we'll break it all down on Rinkwide later on tonight. So uh, I'm on your show. You'll be on mine. That's how this works in this business. Uh, Thanks for having me on, guys. We'll uh, see you at the rink.
0: that's Jeff Patterson, obviously harm, but coming to us. And, you know, he's been a guy that's covered this team for a very long time, pretty tapped in knows exactly what's going on, but some interesting, you know, points that he made about this team. And obviously the one that we'll get into is Thatcher Demko. Cause it may, might be, I agree with Jeff, a little bit red flag that he's made this many starts.
4: Yeah. I think one factor that J brought up that I think the Canucks internally will be mindful of is not just the n- specific number of starts, but, What's the workload looking like in terms of the shots and chances he's yeah. facing? I remember uh, Rick Talkett. Um, we had uh, him on the podcast back uh, when Farhan and I did the Van Cast <laughs> last uh, last summer. We asked him about Demco's workload, uh, just because Demco had started a lot through the second half of um, last season. Once uh, talking had taken over, he said that a big thing they'd look at is what types of chances are we giving up? Because if there are games where they're giving up a lot of cross-team passes, Demko's having to go side to side, the team's starting to look a little more shaky defensively, games like the Seattle one, for example, that's when I think internally the Canucks get a little bit more concerned about the workload. Whereas if you have more games like the Boston one, I think those are situations where they're more comfortable and think there's less wear and tear on his body.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our Vancouver is playing Pittsburgh tonight, so we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. And if you nail it, you can win a twenty-five dollar gift card to the Four Winds Tap Room located at Seventy Second and River Road in Delta. Enter by following us on social media. Keep an eye out for today's show clip and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Convo on Twitter, at com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at ca. I'm
4: debating this. I think it's been a while. I think we're we're going to go Quinn Hughes, uh, first Canuck uh, goal scorer. What about you? <laughs> well,
0: judging by the way that those powerful units have gone... Uh, you know what? I'm going to go Archdeep Dame, Baines. I like it. I'm going to go Archdeep Baines. You know, he's a few games under his NHL belt now. Um, Things are weird with this team. Why not just get him a power play
4: goal to start it? I love it. All right. Let's uh, transition to uh, anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our, our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25, offer valid in Canada, subject to change, terms apply. Folks, get your questions in. Uh, do you have the live chat um, open? Or Grady, can you toss some questions in? Yeah, I will get on that right. Sweet. Now. Before before we get to some of those uh, questions I have in anyone else okay. to bring to the table, does anyone else think that when you compare when each player was the best in the league, that Sidney Crosby is way more likable than Connor McDavid? Likable? Yes. I'm not talking on ice. I'm talking strictly as a personality. Yeah, I mean, look, I would have to agree with you because.
0: The knock on Connor McDavid is, I mean, he's so great as a player on the ice, but it's it's the personality. I mean, we did see it the other day where now he's basically saying that you know he's an assist machine, he's not going to shoot anymore. He obviously was saying that jokingly and being sarcastic, but yeah, I mean, I, I I would tend to have to agree with you there. I think it's, I also think it's markets and the attention that players get. Like Sid in Pittsburgh is not getting the attention of Connor McDavid in Edmonton on a national scale when we look and cover this league, I think. So I think because of that and the way that things have just gone crazy with the way this game is covered, Connor McDavid basically has had a camera in front of him since he's been five years old. Sid did as well, but it was a little bit different. It wasn't magnified as much as it is now. So I think that that's why Sid's the more likable guy because it was there wasn't that much pressure on him to be that guy from the
4: very beginning. Maybe I feel like there was still a ton of hype and attention around him. No, hundred percent, there was. Like Edmonton is, but it's not the, the biggest market though. It's still a major market
0: in Canada. They win Gretzky, they won Stanley Cup. Sure, they're 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 the city of champions, and they have done
4: nothing with Connor McDavid. I guess, but from an American angle, Crosby and Pittsburgh probably had more appeal than McDavid in Edmonton too.
0: Yeah, but I think that now, like, you look at the way that some of these broadcasts are, like, Connor McDavid's now getting on a lot of American television at some point. So, I like, I agree. I definitely think Sid's more likable than McDavid, but I think it's their circumstance as well. Um, Let's get to our listeners. Who would be the worst opponent to lose to in the West, if you're the
4: Vancouver Canucks? I'm assuming this this is referring to the playoffs. Hmm, let me, let me look through the standings. I want to make sure I give a thoughtful answer here. Uh, I think Edmonton would definitely be up there yeah I, I don't think Canucks fans want to lose to Edmonton um, especially just because of the whole narrative of people don't think Edmonton's actually constructed that well and that they're just riding um, the the wave of McDavid and and dry settle if the rivalry was there I would say Seattle but there is, there is no, no rivalry. rivalry, and I'm, so, we're
2: not starting
0: that right now. There's no. no rivalry there, but hey, a playoff series might kick it off. Yeah, that, well, that's know. exactly where rivalries are built, right? Um, Jesse, what percentage of Earth decisions are vibe versus data driven? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I talked to a lot of people, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think that you look at some of these things, or for the Vancouver Canucks, I think that
4: if you're the head coach, no, he's asking you, like my decisions. Uh, basically, there's a bit. We're quad. We're quads. Yeah. We'll just say what he's feeling as his take. He he relies on the vibes. Oh, yeah. Whereas I'm your data data driven, data-driven, super logical. Oh yeah, you're your boy your boy genius. Um we wanna know what you are. Like where do you where do you stand when it comes to vibes versus um So eye test data-driven. or analytics? Well basically. no, i mean kind of but not exactly well, i think you both you both watch a game and read a game at the same yeah. time right yeah and that's
0: i think the key and i think that the biggest thing is when you look at games and things like that you know it's a lot of it yes is heavily dependent on analytics but you know you still can't equate some of these things in the playoffs well, I, like i think that i and, think you're a gut feel guy yeah like, do I have a gut feeling that the power play is not going to work? Absolutely tonight. Yeah, you're a vibes guy. <laughs> yeah, like I think you're definitely a vibes. But guy. okay, but your your numbers guy. Do you think that? Do you think this power play, as it's constructed, is going to work tonight? Probably not. There you go. So I guess we tend to agree. And there's there's the guy that you know goes with the numbers and the vibes guy. I mean, I don't know. I think that if you if you really look at it and say like that, that's a pretty good example, right? We both agree on something that is completely different, and they they might be doing it for different reasons completely. Um, assuming the same package could have gotten you Gensel, would you have preferred that instead? Or is Lindholm's versatility more useful? That's from Jesse.
4: I'm going to take, I'll, I'll, do you have a thought on this first though? No, go ahead. I, I probably lean toward Gensel. I I know that Lindholm has the versatility. I know he has the PK impact, uh, but I just looked at Gensel as a pure goal scorer and went, especially with, with his hockey sense, and, of course, now he's... Um, I think he's still out of lineup. He's still hurt, right? Um, yeah. But the way he reads off Crosby when you watch the Penguins play, I watched that and went, man, he would think the game at the same wavelength as Pedersen. Like, like I just watched Gensel and thought, man, he'd be the perfect running mate for, um, for Pedersen. I also thought Lindholm could have been a decent fit for Pedersen, and that hasn't worked out quite yet. Um, but I think Gensel just is the better pure goal scorer and and not to mention his, his track record um, in the playoffs is, is dynamite. Uh, He's got 34 goals in 58 career playoff games, but from the Canucks perspective, you have to remember they wanted to move ahead of the market, make sure that they could acquire one of the big fish, knowing that there weren't a lot of those high end difference makers available. Gensel probably wasn't available back then. Pittsburgh was still in the playoff race they were still in a wait-and-see mode. Kyle Dubas wanted to give his team a chance to um, right the ship, get things right. So if you're a Jim Rutherford and Patrick and you're thinking, okay, we want to make sure we strike early so that we don't end up in a situation where, let's say, the top two names go off the board and we're talking about oh, all of a sudden, oh, do we have to trade a first-round pick for an Adam Henrique, for example? Yeah. I, I think that's where part of it comes down to availability as well, where Lindholm was available then and Gensel probably wasn't back then. Well, now that Gensel is available, obviously hurt. I still, I've said this before. I don't think the Canucks are fully out on
0: Gensel. I don't think that they're fully out on Christopher Tanev. Vegas is going to come in and offer the world for Gensel and, and make it work because that's just what Vegas does. And, you know, what a break for them. Obviously, you know, Mark Stone being out forever. And you don't know when Eichel gets Eichel's going to come back, but, Um, it's an interesting one and one that we still may see happen. If the Canucks can figure it out and maybe make something happen with Gensel. captain Canuck in the Boston game, they talked about why the Bruins are so hard to play against. And they said, because they always play with three guys back. And he says the Canucks need to play this style. What say you harm? I I don't, is he referring
4: to like their neutral zone check? I think so. Uh, I, I think what the Canucks have been doing has been working for the most part. In terms of the first two periods, why Boston's ha- had some success, I think they did an excellent job of boxing out in the defensive zone, making it difficult for Vancouver's forwards to get on the inside, making it difficult to uh, get screens, get tips, get deflections, because that's really the bread and butter of how Vancouver, Vancouver creates offense is some of those greasy chances, making it difficult for the goalies to see pox on top of creating turnovers in the forecheck through the first two periods. I think Boston excelled in those areas. The third period is where the Canucks just completely broke through, um, ran them over, and you saw on Heronics' game-tying goal where, okay, you finally get that net front presence established with Brock setting the perfect screen, and it makes uh, a world of a difference. So not only just with Boston, but I think the bigger conversation of heading into the playoffs, so it's going to be important for Um, The canucks to do to make sure they can manufacture offense and from the opposition's perspective what are they going to be looking to do to try and shut vancouver down it is a lot of those ingredients because if you can slow vancouver down um, in terms of their net front related offense if you can slow them down in terms of creating turnovers off the forecheck well then we've seen some of the data from sport logic for example that shows that Vancouver's 32nd in the league in rush chances. And I know they've gotten a lot of goals, but I think part of that has been a riding on a bit of a shooting percentage bender. Um, so I think that's what Boston did well in the first two periods. And then they completely uh, collapsed. And I think they just blew another lead last night too. Mm-hmm. So they're they shoot yeah. um, Shootout. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a bit of a trouble. Absolutely. Corey Anderson, or if I answered a question about oh, on Twitter about Crosby's
0: favorite or favorite Crosby moment, moment minus the golden goal. You did dueling hat tricks against Ovi in the playoffs. Welcome to Crosby show in Canada. Shootout winner against the Habs and return from injury against the Islanders. Mine is actually, it's wild. It is goes back to 2019, the NHL all-star game. So he was named, he's been named an all-star 10 times in his career. And in Toronto, this past one is only the fifth time he participated. That all-star game in 2019, he didn't show up to the seals competition. He just showed up on, I think it was the morning or the night before the game, and he won the MVP. He's like, he rolled in, he's like, this is still my league. I think he had eight or ten points in that, and it was just wild, because I think all the media was like, oh, this is this is the coming of swords, Crosby's not going to be here, so it's McDavid, it's everything like that, but Crosby came
4: in and took home MVP honors. What's yours? I don't have a specific moment or highlight beyond the golden goal, but I will say, just his overall stretch between 2010 to 2013, yeah. which is so unfortunate because he of course was hampered by and and missed a lot of games because of uh, concussions. But that's always a what if moment for me, because (laughs) when he was healthy in that stretch, he was unstoppable and keep in mind in that, in that time it was harder to create offense. It was harder to score goals. And you just look at some of the numbers. He had 32 goals in 41 games in 2010, uh, 37 points in 22 games in 2011, uh, 56 points in 36 games in 2012. Crosby at the peak of his powers could play any style you wanted, right? He had the speed, the dynamic ability to trade chances, create offense, Connor McDavid style. Mm -hmm. Um, He had the ability to control pucks down low, like he was a grinder and just dominate off the cycle that way. He was elite defensively. I, a part of me thinks, oh man, I wish we got to see more of that Crosby. But then the other part of me goes, in light of those concussion problems, I'm also just grateful that he's yeah, been he's able to continue playing this long. 32 goals this season.
0: Hopefully. I mean, maybe for the NHL and for his sake, he gets up to 50. Grady, what's your, if I you would, have one. Yeah. I was going to kind of
2: piggyback off harm just with all those concussions. And I remember there was people writing columns about, oh, he's fallen off, you know, concussion history. And then he goes out and wins back to back Stanley Cups, <laughs> puts the team on his back. And, you know, had a lot of help from Phil Kessel. And of course that third line and you have Malcolm and Latang. Um, interesting post today I saw Canucks Army put out his first game in Vancouver when he had the penalty shot against Roberto Luongo and Luongo stoned him and in the uh, shootout, shootout as well yeah um but I love the water bottle pop against Jose <laughs> Theodore uh, early on in his career just like you talk about in Montreal like you know he couldn't have set the scene any better so yeah incredible talent I think Sometimes people take him for granted just because he's performed so well at this level for so long. Now he's definitely going to be when it's all said and done at the, uh, in the Mount Rushmore of uh, NHL players.
0: Well I think it, he already is to be yeah. completely honest. You look at it, the guys won everything you could possibly win at every level. I mean, Yes. Yeah, so th- again, like you mentioned your friends and people being excited to go and see Sidney Crosby. Like, that's one of the people you go see. You go see Crosby, you go see Ovechkin. McDavid yeah. obviously is worth the price of admission. The Leafs and Matthews and things like that. So should be an interesting one. Um, Jeremy Lee, who else besides Gensel should the Canucks make a run for harm?
4: I didn't mind the Brandon Duhame suggestion okay. from uh, yesterday. Of course, Frank Saravali reporting on, uh, on that. The thing that I keep coming back to is Chris Tanev would be the perfect fit especially if you can re-sign him to um, an affordable extension. But with it being potentially a bidding war, I just don't like the acquisition cost, right? Like, are you going to have to give up a first-round pick? I I don't like the idea of giving up a first-round pick uh, for Tanev in a dream situation. If you could could maybe just center a package around, let's say, a second-round pick, great. But I don't think that's um, going to be enough to – Get it done. So if it's not going to be Tanev, then I I kind of just check down and look at um and look at some cheaper depth options. And when I do look at Vancouver's bottom six right now, and of course you're going to get Dakota Joshua back at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, but the fourth line, that PDG spot I mentioned on the show yesterday, I like him a lot more as a 13th or 14th forward than I do as um as an everyday player in your lineup, just because. You'd like maybe a little bit more edge in that spot, maybe a little bit more physicality, just so that the fourth line can give you some energy. Talk had spoken about needing more from that fourth line uh, as well. So that's maybe an area that I look at um, as uh, as an area of need ahead of the deadline.
2: A couple of names we've kicked around on the show, Earth, is Sammy Blay. And my favorite is Lawson Krause, which will be a little rich, but that was before... The Coyotes uh, fell out of the race. You just never know what they're kind of up to now. Um, He's signed with term remaining. He's played for talk it. He's a bruiser. He feels like a type of guy that would come alive in the playoffs. He can score on the power play. He can score at even strength. To me, he ticks a lot of the boxes. You just wonder though, Arizona, like they've traded so many guys out the last few years. Is that one of the guys that kind of want to keep around? But maybe perhaps talk it goes to Rutherford and Alvine. Said this is the type of guy, you know, gritty, blue-collar, hard-nosed guy we need for the playoffs.
0: Yeah. I think that the wish list from Talkett, they have it, right? They 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 definitely have it. Rutherford and Alvin know exactly what Rick talk it hopes yeah, and, and, yeah, and they wants. Want. And and you know, I think it's kind of a wait and see process here. I think that you know, you look at we mentioned Chris Tanev's name. You know, there's four teams that are interested. In it. It's the Leafs, it's the Oilers, it's the Canucks, and it's the stars. And in my opinion, I think one of them is gonna panic and give up a first round pick, and that's not gonna be the Canucks. You're like asking price is gonna to be too rich. Is it a second and a player that's playing right now in the American League for Kristanev? Probably, right? And also for him what's the extension cost going to be you know if you go to a team like the Dallas Stars you'd be willing to sign there you go to a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs that's probably you know a, a good chance to maybe see if you can get out of the east there and then there's obviously the Edmonton Oilers playing for your divisional rival and, and not having to go too far but you get a chance to make a run at with McDavid and and and, and he could definitely help that team
4: quickly i want to ask you what do you what are your thoughts on the idea of Calgary potentially trading Tanev to Edmonton and the idea of uh, a provincial kind of um, premium that they'd have to pay for, for being rivals. Do you believe in that? No, not at all. I, I really don't. I, I think that the
0: owners get not, they don't get involved, but I think that if you, if that becomes their best option, then what are you really going to say? Yeah. If the best option is the Edmonton Oilers offering a first round pick plus something for Chris Tanev, Why why wouldn't the Calgary Flames trade that? If you're looking at, you know, asset management and and things of that nature, I I think it's there. I think in years past, you know, you look at some things and, and, you know, you really don't want to trade within the division. That's what some owners did. They didn't want to give their guys to a division, a divisional opponent. But now, I mean, the flames are kind of falling off a little bit too. So they should be sellers to be completely honest. Um, The Markstrom thing is going to be interesting as well. So we'll see where that goes. Um, Ryan... Why didn't, what is Phil Kessel going to cost? Can they keep his salary low and go heavy on bonuses? The Phil Kessel thing is interesting because he's kind of just been basically having an open workout in Abbotsford for quite some time.
4: Yeah, it's kind of uh, a mid training camp yeah. for him, which makes sense. And one thing that I was thinking about, and I don't know if you have a, a theory on this, but for an aging player in Kessel's 36, remember that, Last year, he had to play through a full 82-game regular season. Do you think that having all this time off could give him more juice, give him more legs? Do you think that works in his favor? or Or are you of the mindset that missing all that time is not good in the sense of it's going to be that much harder to get back up to speed?
0: Look, I think that there's some stock you can put into him going to skate. And Abbotsford and being able to work with the guys down there. And, you know, if he's being able to get some time with the twins out there and, and, things like that, but like, you know, what type of player you're getting in Phil Kessel, like, you know, the elite level talent that he did possess at one point in his career. And he has that. And I just don't know if he's going to be that download checker, that talk thinks thinks or, or wants or, or that guy anymore. Plus he's going to have to get into NHL game shape. And that's going to take some time. They have to sign him by the deadline. If they want to want him to be eligible playoff games so i think that when you look at it it's going to cost low it's going to be a veteran minimum salary obviously if and when they do decide to do it um or this could be another team that comes in who knows where they offer phil castle contract between now and then but um i think that he's an option for them i don't think he's going to be their first option i still think that they do have some irons in the fire and other things that they want to decide on which they should as they look to improve this hockey team
4: yeah, I think it makes sense as yeah. sort of insurance, yeah. uh, w- w- not your plan A, but something that you uh, look at as um, as an option if um, if you feel the need for it.
0: Yeah, Jesse, give us your Mount Rushmore. Let's do that tomorrow. Let's actually yeah. think about that. Yeah, and and let's Good go to that tomorrow. But uh, Jonathan Lecker has been having himself a hell of his season in Sweden. One of the top prospects, obviously for the Vancouver Canucks um, and has been absolutely elite. He's been lighting up the league up there. Um, today was hilarious. Like you watched his game and, and he was all over the place. He had three shootout attempts harm tonight. It was wild. And he finally scored on the winner. Like he's shooting the puck. He's playing at an elite level. And if you're the Vancouver Canucks and you're Patrick Alvareen and Jim Rutherford and you're looking at it, and you just look at your prospect pool and how deep it's slowly starting to get, you have to be happy.
4: Oh, it's it's in a much better position than it looked like a year ago, because a year ago, especially before the went off in the all Sven playoffs, you were a little bit concerned at the fact that, okay, he'd been at least somewhat productive in the SHL in his, in his draft year. Now he had moved down the league and um, he'd been underwhelming. There were injuries. He was of course um, recovering from mono towards the tail end of his draft year, I believe. Uh, there was a lot of factors that he was sort of fighting through. In fact, I don't even think the, for a while, he wasn't even expected to suit up in the playoffs last year, but that really seems to have been the launching pad where he, where he seems to get his, um, his game back on track, Uh, started the season strong, right from SHL preseason, dominated the world juniors and has just continued being a goal scoring machine. And it does make you reconsider as, as well, of course, it's still going to take him some time. He's got to bulk up a little bit. It's going to take him time to learn defensive habits and, and be the type of player that uh, Rick Tockett would trust. But it does give you more confidence that, okay, this guy can maybe help sooner rather than being an ultra long-term project. Yeah, And we should give credit to
2: sport live one direct out of Sweden for providing us with that video there. And just, just quickly on the mono thing, like if anyone out there has had it, they know, how draining that is on your body just to get back to what you were before it can sometimes take months to do it. So, you know, there was a lot of people out there last year that were ready to write this kid off and you don't write off guys who can score and shoot the puck like that, especially kind of jumping into pro hockey and working their way up. So yeah, very encouraging story to track. And uh, for those wondering to want to keep up with them, make sure you're following uh, Dave Hall from Canucks Army. He's got all the updates you need.
0: Yeah, it's wild. Like, I mean, three shootout attempts though is still crazy. I remember, what was it? Yeah. Was it Jonathan Taves was first, and then Oshi? Is that the way that went? Remember those World Juniors? Oshi was in the Olympics. Oshi was, well, was in the Olympics. Yeah. Sorry, yes. Taves was World Juniors. It Was wild.
4: Yeah, I, I the Oshi. Oh, that is probably the most memorable shootout game ever. It's the only time I've liked a shootout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I
0: uh, okay. If you had one player to pick, shootout. To end it like you go and you look through the list of guys that you see, okay, you see, okay, remember,
2: yeah, you see, okay, was unreal. How oh. Kyle Wellwood, I want to say, was pretty good too. Pavel Datsuk, yes, magic man.
4: See, I'm uh, this is where I'm the data guy. I need the number, I need to, no, to See, this the is the best part. Numbers. Go with your vibes,
1: dude.
4: Vibes,
0: you're picking a guy right now off the top of your head to end the game Patrick, in a shootout. Patrick, King. I know that's what I was gonna say.
4: Ah, oh, scooped co- you. Well, I was gonna say Kuznetsov, but he's uh, away on the. Yes.
0: Kuznetsov Panarin. is
4: not. Panarin. Panarin. I feel like he'd be pretty, pretty good. He's got the hands. He's been playing really well this year. That's Are, my vibes pick. There you go. <laughs> Here's your vibes pick. It was like pulling teeth out of me to I get know. me to rely
0: because on he was my shaking vibes. here. He couldn't get it. He couldn't get into the numbers. I just had to pull it out yeah. of him. Uh, Grady, what do you like?
2: Uh yeah, Jokinen. I'll go. You know,
0: Thomas Vanek, I think, had, yeah, had a the, couple with, interest, big with a big slap, slap shot, yeah. He
2: wind up, remember that goal against uh, the Wild? He scored. I think it was a big clap on.
0: Yeah. Who else was there? There were some good ones. Uh, yeah, Kyle Wellwood's another one. The Canucks were really good on. Um, Let's see what the chat's saying here. Kucherov, yeah,
2: Bedard, Datsuk, Kretzky. Uh, <laughs> I
0: can actually use that.
2: Yeah, no, it's an it's an interesting yeah. discussion. Like there's definitely been guys over the years that have been labeled like the shootout specialist. And UC Okunen was definitely one of those guys. Brief stint in Vancouver there. Yeah. In the old Tyler Mott trade.
0: Yeah. The well, shootout's all in ECL. is something that's getting old for me too, though. To oh, I, I can't I stand them. I, I can't stand them. I agree. Um, Time for our Betway bet of the day brought to you by Betway. Big divisional matchup tonight in Colorado, Harm. Give me the stars on the road. I know the Colorado Avalanche have the best home record in the NHL, but I really do like the stars. I think that you know this team does have some good vibes. Big vibes guy does have some good feet. Get some some good vibes going through it. Um, I like them. I think there's good value there as well. You must be 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Let's roll with the vibes. I trust them. You do? Yeah. Yeah, big vibe guy. Big vibes guy. I, I think that, look, I, I when it comes to, especially when it comes to betting and stuff like that, yes, the numbers are there and things like that. But a lot of people have been betting a Connor McDavid goal for the past 10 games and what's happened? Nothing. He just gets yeah. apples.
2: Do you see his quote last night yeah. about how he's like, oh, I just want to get
0: my assist total up. That's good. See,
4: yeah. th- see, that's what makes him actually like. now personality. Think, exactly. Yeah. He needs more of that.
0: Well, it's taken long enough. I mean, like the knock on Roberto Luongo for the longest time was he didn't really have a personality. Then he left and got Twitter and then things were. Things were awesome for him. But I think that these guys are, they obviously do have some personality. I think that Connor McDavid is just very selective with who and what he deals with. And I also think that it's the market that you're in. Like, you don't want to say anything that's going to be front page in Edmonton. Like, anything Connor McDavid does in Edmonton is going to be billboarded everywhere. Why are you so
2: pissy, Connor?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, no, that was Leon. Yeah, I know, but I'm just changing. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah.
4: By the way, I have you noticed uh, the conversation on the Oilers right now through this mini skid? It's the goal. I settle, especially is getting a lot of flack yeah, for the, the idea of, man, he's got some bad habits with the penalties, being lazy defensively. And it's surprising when like, there's always been a bit of that outside narrative, but to have your own fans sort of, um you know, picking away at that, it, it starts to carry a little bit more weight. So that's something to, to watch for as well, because since the winning streak, they have not looked good. No,
0: they haven't, and I think that when you look at that team, there's just so much pressure to make it to the Stanley Cup final. Like with McDavid, with Drysaddle, I mean, their contracts are a couple of years away, but I mean, you, you still have to think about it and what they're gonna do. And Leon Drysidel's next deal is gonna be an insane oh. amount of the cap, right? Just because of
4: the sheer numbers that he puts up and Rantanen too. Yeah, rent like it's they're they're gonna be wild. Like also, they are gonna have dead cap because of uh, so. Connor Brown signed for yes minimum, minimum, but but then had performance bonuses of three point two two five million. There's what? another guy that hasn't performed at all. Uh, yeah, has he I scored mean, yet? No, no. He, yeah, he's got zero goals and five points. So because you signed him and thought and made it a games play bonus <laughs> yeah. instead of like a goals, goals. or points bonus, yeah. uh, now because to just for the sake of this guy being in the lineup. Um, they're going to have a $3.225 million dead cap overage for next season. It's wild. I mean, Edmonton's in trouble, but I, I think that when the cap eventually, maybe not next year, the year
0: after, when it does go up significantly, they'll be okay. And obviously McDavid's going to get his, but the Edmonton Oilers are going to be an interesting team to watch here in the next nine days as well to see if they can try and improve and and figure their stuff out um, before they head into the postseason. But um, always fun, Harm. Thanks for Thanks for having me. I'm um, always fun doing this and we'll we'll do this again tomorrow obviously Canucks conversation an off day or day between games before the LA Kings on Thursday Canucks and Pittsburgh Penguins Cindy Crosby in town a little bit later on tonight at Rogers Arena
1: Canucks conversation with Harmon and quads brought to you by the Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X's fresh look is just an added bonus to its range since you can drive up to 406 kilometers on a single charge. That's enough to get you from Kitsilano to Whistler or Kamloops to Kelowna and back and still be home in time for the game. Now that's what we'd call electric the best part by choosing electric you can get up to eleven thousand dollars in rebates and incentives the bz4x are in stock and selling quickly so make sure to visit shoptoyota.ca or your local pacific toyota dealer to get your hands on one canucks conversation is live monday through friday every weekday at 2 p.m over on the canucks army youtube channel make sure you like subscribe and interact in the youtube live chat every day with us folks